Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Brown Skin Speaks Radio. I'm your host for this evening, Wednesday, February 10th. Tonight I'm discussing the broken educational system with Dr. Marco Clark, CEO of Broken Promise Schools. He's also the co-founder of Peace Through Urban Exchange, a program designed to use education as a tool to develop high school students into tomorrow's leaders. As a product of the inner city, he maintains a strong commitment to empowering students and his community. Please join in on the discussion at 347-202-0591. Dr. Clark, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for joining me this evening. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> Trying to stay warm here, that's all. <laughs> I know. Are you in the DMV area? I am in, yes, I'm in Baltimore. Yeah, so you're getting snow just like me, like we've been snowed in for the last few days. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, so let's get into it. I want to talk about um, Broken Promise Schools. Now, you are CEO of Broken Promise Schools, but I want to know what was the mission um, or the factor that compelled you to start Broken Promise Schools and what are you hoping to achieve or have accomplished with this um, school? Well, what happened initially is that I, I saw uh, working in the school systems, various public school systems, and being a consultant around the country, I saw a lot of promises being made to kids and through little forums with students, they start talking about the things that had been promised to them and how they were able to get used to a particular principal or a particular uh, uh, superintendent or someone that was in their uh, circle. And then all of a sudden this person disappeared. And so my question began, I began to ask them, well, what happened with the initiatives that you guys liked? And they said, well, as soon as those individuals left, so did the program. So for me, when I began to just look at and think about some of my uh, years of growing up and how promises were made to us and they were never followed through, then I said, okay, it's time to really do something about it. And so Broken Promise Schools is a nonprofit foundation that we're focusing on creating a platform that allows students to have their voice, the community to have their voice, along with parents, as well as educators who really have something uh, profound to say on improving student uh, academic performance in our schools. Okay, where's the school located? Is it also in, in Maryland area or Baltimore? No, it is in D.C. We, we okay. are, it is not a school. It is not a school. It's a foundation. Okay. So we are, uh, uh, we are a consulting foundation, and what we do is we go out and we, pro- we provide a, a SWOT analysis of different schools, school systems, and we look at their strengths and their weaknesses and kind of talk about what they need to do to improve. And we also bring in that voice, that platform that's there uh, from the community to tell, you know, urban systems what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong, because a lot of times they don't know. Right. So uh, we are that we are that outside force that's bringing in that information that's going to kind of help bring and revamp the uh, the field for public school education. A lot of us have lost our faith in public school education, yeah. but clearly that is the pillar of our nation, and we have to do that and make sure that that is back on course in order for our nation to thrive. Right. Okay. So let's uh, jumping back to that saying that you know a lot of students got to attach to. Uh, the teachers or the principals that were bringing these programs. Um, the concern about, you know, the profession of teaching, a lot of people um, are concerned or, or look at the accountability and the merit system. You know, teachers aren't getting paid enough money. Um, maybe there's not enough money going into education. Um, and even safety concerns, depending on where these teachers um, live. Uh, is, are teachers, are, should teachers be held more accountable than the parents? What, what is your, your, your take on that as far as, 
the teacher is being responsible <laughs> for the students. Well, you know, I'm I'm glad you brought that up about the first of all you you talked about finances and I think one of the major issues that we always harp on is that we say we can't get things done because there is not enough financial support out there. Well, I say it's a lie and my research says that it's a lie. Initiatives can't get done as long as individuals are committed to the whole process. If they're committed to doing the work, it can be done. What is happening is that we're blaming the financial crisis on not educating our our kids, and it's hurting those kids, particularly in the African-American community, where you find that only 52% of our kids are graduating from high school. That's, that's deplorable. You find that, you know, that over 40%, about 40% of those kids that are graduating have spent about five years in high school trying to get out. So what what is happening, and then they go into that uh, extra era of the K through 16 model, which is developmental education in higher education, and then they spend all their time there and spend up their financial aid. There has to be some accountability within the teachers. Teachers, you know, there are the, the schools that are working, teachers are working overtime. They're spending uh, extra hours at the school, and they're not being compensated over an abundance of what is, is in their contract to be paid. I think that there is a fair amount of work that has to be done, but when you sign the application to get on this job, let's not talk about the work. Let's talk about how we're going to get it done and not make right. excuses for it because our kids are suffering. And, and, and right now the kids look to the teachers and the educators to make a difference. This is a difference making. And if we, change, if we don't uh, do what we're supposed to be doing, then how are we going to change our communities? Well, I'm glad that you said that because I still want to stay on the teachers. Now, do you find that there's um, an imbalance? What about the teachers that are actually, you know, um, being genuine and sincere and care about these, their students that they are teaching? Do you find that there's an imbalance of those that wanted to teach and are doing this for the love of teaching opposed to maybe those that may have settled into, into teaching? Um, cause, you well, know, well what, I, what I think – what I think is happening, and, and if we can divide our school systems up to uh, urban schools, to yeah. suburban schools, to rural schools, let's begin to look at that. What's happening in, in the urban schools is that you have an uh, influx of teachers that are in these programs that have like six-week training models, and they're guaranteed that, you know, if you come and stay two years, you can get a master's and you can move on to another profession. That's what's hurting our urban centers, that the good thing that's happening with the programs is that they're actually staffing the schools. The, the, on the onset of it is, is that once those p- teachers spend two years, they become acquainted with the kids. They leave the kids hanging. That's one issue. That's not happening in the suburban and urban uh, uh, areas. They're not allowing these types of programs to come in and infect those school systems. So when you look at, at, at those teachers that are really committed to the process, they're saying, hey, what's happening when you're allowing these people to come in and, come and leave with math? master's degrees, and those of us who have signed on to be committed to this process, there are no programs to help us get through. There's no financial stipends or kickbacks to us to help us move forward. We're stuck right here in the muck and the mire doing the work, and no one is really genuinely talking about how well we're doing. The, the, the focus is on the schools that are not doing well, faring well, and they're not talking about the good work that's going on in the school. 
you asked the question a moment ago about the parents. You know, there's a there's a portion that we can't uh, uh, escape, and that is an issue where parents have to do on their own. But the school systems have to be an extended part of the community. And if we already know the information, when those kids come to us, they come from group homes, foster homes. And since we know that, we have to provide those services that those kids need so that they can continue to be productive citizens and global uh, competitors as they move forward. We can't wait on the, uh, what happened with their parents and their families and use that as an excuse for failure. It just can't happen. Okay, yep. Okay, now if you're now joining in on the discussion, I'm talking to Dr. Marco Clark, CEO of Broken Promise Schools. You can join in at 347-202-0591. I think we have someone that wants to ask you a question, Dr. Clark. Um, All right. Are you there? Hello? Hello? I don't know if they can hear. Hello? <laughs> okay. Um, well, I want to go. So now, that's, now that we segue into parents, um, one of my friends, she actually teaches, um, and she sent me some great points. Now, you know, from the mm-hmm. perspective of, of parents, there's a late, major lack of parental support um, in a lot of areas. And I know, you know, there's the accountability for the teachers, but when do the parents come into play? Well, I, I think parents are always around, and I think as, as and what I believe is that as school leaders and as educators, we have to begin to educate the parents as to what's their role. Mm-hmm. When you look at schools that are faring very well, the parents know their role. They have booster clubs. They have scholarship uh, fund programs. They know the role that they play in, in the school. What happens in schools that are failing is that you typically have uh, an administration that says, we just need parents, we need community, and you get all these people involved, but you don't tell them what to do. And so if you don't have a, a clear plan as to how you're going to utilize them, then you lose the parents. So I think we have, uh, and well, I believe that we have some great parents that really are engulfed with the work. I can think of three or four parents off the top of my head. I won't call their names, but right. they clearly advocate totally for children on a daily basis. I have one parent in my mind now. She's advocating. She's calling City Hall. She's calling the mayor. She's always pushing to get more resources in the school. And, and and those are the kinds of parents that a lot of administrators or teachers, they shy away from instead of embracing those. So I think we ha- I have to stand up for the parents and recognize that our parents want to do the right thing. I know as a father I'm going to do everything I can for my daughter to ensure that she has what she needs to be a very productive uh, person. And, 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 and if we're going to fix this, this educational piece, we've got to really look at this data and look at what's happening and begin to use that as a blueprint to move forward. Now, is it, is it uh, propaganda? Because, you know, some people would say that, you know, there's been a major injustice, for instance. You know, um, another point that was made is, you know, a lot of students, there's too many students, um, whether it's happening at one school or two schools, that's too many schools, but a lot of students are being pushed on or fall through the cracks. Um, when they're not ready to move on to the next grade. And and then there, there are those that, you know, in order to show that they're having an X amount of students moving on to the next grade that aren't ready for that, what what about that, you know? Um, is, are, are the public school systems well, an injustice? 
Well, you know, some people, they will say that, you know, they they call it social promotion and that, you know, those are individuals that aren't aren't ready for the next ready move or more. Okay, well, my question is this. What happens when you have a 16-year-old that's sitting in the eighth grade? Then that's another issue for individuals. Why is that kid here? And we say, well, we didn't do social promotion, so the kid's still sitting here. Well, that doesn't equate to a a kid who is going to to be socially and emotionally engaged with his, uh, his age group appears so he's not going to matriculate in a positive manner what I believe in and what I've all uh, and what our program uh, broken promises what we do is we talk about matriculation through remediation and what that means is is that you get a kid in and you remediate them as they move forward you don't hold them back because as long as you hold kids back we we get that that group of individuals that's a part of that 52% that graduate from high school or that 40% that stays in for five or six years or whatever and these kids come out and then they 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 make about four or five hundred thousand dollars over a lifetime less than their counterparts and then you have another issue that's counted up with crime because if I'm making seven or eight thousand an hour how am I going to provide for my family so we have to begin it's a bigger problem it goes beyond just keeping a kid there or passing a kid on there has to be a plan in place to ensure that these kids are going to they are going to become leaders or, 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 or competitors once they finish with high school now, what, you know, because I know you said you do some consulting around the areas in, in D.C. Um, now, what are some of the things that you have seen in these schools that you had to, I guess, for lack of a better word, check them on as far as their system and the way that the teachers are being held accountable and, and some of the program initiatives that these schools are, are, are providing? Well, one of, some of the things that I, I'm seeing in schools is that there is no accountability. Okay. Uh, you, you go in schools, and, and I've done uh, uh, an analysis over student records. The records are out of order. You're finding that they don't know whether a kid has had this course or that course, and you have kids taking classes overlapping each other. There was a school I was in approximately two years ago, and it was a, a 6 through 12 school. Well, you had kids that were in the 10th grade still taking classes in the in the 7th grade wow. because they said that they failed seventh grade classes so my question was well how did, how can a kid that's earning credits towards graduation be taking a, a, a class in the seventh grade where credits are are not necessary for graduation but necessary to pass I'm not understanding how that comes together so when we look at it and here's a kid that is in a junior in high school or 10th grade in high school and they're looking back looking two years ahead to graduate and yet and still they're looking three years behind to catch up that makes no sense. And so what my, my, my plans are things that I had to go in and talk about is create a plan that shows how kids can be promoted. Clearly lay it out. Clearly teach your parents so that they can hold you accountable for what's going on and just don't lay it out there and use the excuse that parents aren't involved when you're creating these failed initiatives that are not supporting children. Right, right. I know uh, just recently, you know, they're talking about, you know, President Obama asked Congress, for what one point three five billion dollars in two thousand eleven um, to extend for educational grant programs in various states. Mm-hmm. Do when you hear about these these um, initiatives or, or financial initiatives, are these is is the money getting to where it needs to get to? That's I guess that's the question. It's all great, you know, fine and dandy, not just President Obama, but you know those that have um, asked for um, financial uh, uh, you know increases for their state or their area for their schools, are, are, are these schools seeing it or are they just being reckless on how they use the money for these programs? Well, what, what, 
what I'm finding in some school systems is that some schools are seeing are, are getting the money. It's like always the the those that are are that the have always have the have nots always have not. And when we look at that, there's a tiered system in public school systems, and nobody wants to really tell the truth about it. Right. The schools that are really performing have always been performing, and that's where the money goes. Why is it that a school across town could have a theater, could have a a an arts program, a fine arts program, a choir, and they could travel abroad, but the kid, but the school that is only three or four blocks away, they don't have take-home material, they don't have computers, they don't have uh, uh, the proper teachers, and, and a large portion of their teachers are not even certified. So when we look at all of that, why is it that there's a tiered system in the same school system, the money is getting there. What's happening is that you look. You have to look at the leadership. And the problem I, I talked about it earlier is that when people are leaving after these two years, they come in for a quick stint and then they leave out. Then what happens with the money is still stifled in those one areas. So you caked up sixty percent over here and you sprinkled out forty percent among the majority, and that's what's happening. So the money is getting there. I can't blame. Definitely can't blame our president for that. Of course, uh, yeah. it, it, but, but it's those individuals who are responsible for disseminating the money that's not doing what they're doing their part. And so that's what's happening with the kids. So when we look at the kids that are failing, they're failing because they don't get the resources. Yeah. Let, let, let me say this to you. Uh, maybe approximately 10 years ago, there was a test in the state of Maryland uh, uh, called MISPAP. And, and MISPAP had to do with... Um, uh, hands-on activities where you had biology, where they had stencils and all kind of lab equipment. But when the kids, these were eighth graders who had never seen any of that equipment before. All right, so but they were given the test, and, and, and all of this equipment came in on test day, and the kids were asked to perform. Well, they refused because they didn't know what to do. They were they were they had never seen. This equipment, and my question was, well, how did the other counties uh, do well? It's because they had it all along. They had it all along, and that's what's happening. Yeah, okay, because you had said something. I'm going to go to that question, but I think we have another caller coming in. Um, please state your name and where you're from. Hello? Can they hear? Hello? Hello? I don't know if they can Hello? hear. Okay. Hello? Okay. Well, the point that you made, you have made a great point about um, the teachers and, and not a lot of them being certified. Now, do you think that the criteria, um, well, how strict is the criteria for these teachers, and um, should schools accept um, teachers loosely just to fill a void? Well, my personal opinion about it is that, first of all, there are loopholes around certification. Right. When you look at traditional public school systems, they follow No Child Left Behind to a T. Okay. Uh, when you okay. look at the charter schools and the independent and parochial schools, they use their own guidelines, meaning highly qualified uh, could be a person that has a degree in the area that, that they're going to teach. Uh, highly qualified in traditional systems mean that they're taking a, a, an assessment test and they've scored whatever the state standard is. My personal belief is that I think that institutions of higher learning, if you, I think the training, we, we, we've gotten away from student teaching, we've gotten away from the internship that's necessary to train these teachers. 
I believe that that should be the, the selling point of certification moving forward. Uh, the institutions of higher learning should be able to grant a stamp and say this person is ready to teach. I don't think that, uh, uh, you know, you go do a six-week training seminar in the summer, you take an assessment, and that means that you're ready. We would not, you would not, nor would anyone else want to have a doctor that went to a, a six-week training to, to do an open-heart surgery or, or any other surgery on anybody. We wouldn't want that for a lawyer to go in the courtroom with a six-week training, so why would we want that for teachers? Yeah. Now, you said No Child Left Behind, um, and I know some of uh, the No Child Left Behind got some backlash. Um, well, you know, since it was in play, some people disagree with it or, or feel like, you know, child, children are being left behind. Do you think mm -hmm. that um, children have, you know, has this helped or hindered children um, affected by, you know, SOLs or mandated learning modules? Are children um, really learning from these mandated learning modules, or are they kind of like a, um, holding them back? More so like a well, I, I, I think I, I, I personally believe that, you know, no child left behind. I, I think the kids are learning from these models. Test scores are clearly uh, improving in a lot of areas. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I think, uh, what I love about No Child Left Behind is that it, it, it basically set a, a guideline for accountability, and it, it calls schools to get on, school systems to get on notice that accountability was necessary. I mean, it goes into the, 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 the poem uh, by the great Benjamin Elijah Mays, the, it, a poem entitled A Minute. I mean, and, and, and you have to be able to do things and, and look at the eternity part of it. And and I think that's what No Child Left Behind. Now, does it have some some fallacies in there? Of course, because there are some things that just are not attainable as there. But what I like about it is that it set a tone that accountability had to be necessary. And particularly in in uh, the African American community, somebody had to set some guidelines so that we can at least try to measure what's happening with our children. Right. Right. Um, now, let's get a little bit more microscopic, um, the roles okay. of males and females. Now, I, I know a lot of people, and not even a lot of people, even stats would show you that um, a lot more <laughs> women are in uh, pursuing education um, or higher education than males. Um, what effect mm -hmm. does this have in our community, uh, and to be specifically the black community, you know, seeing reversed roles? Oh wow! Yeah, so you you really want to put me on the spot with that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said, you know, I, you really want to put me on the spot with that one? Oh wow! And and I know I have some uh, ladies listen, but I I I'll, I'll be fair to understand yes, it. Say that you know uh, clearly. I think it it is being it it is society in in a manner that that that. Uh, if we really look at, and I hate to go to hip-hop because I love hip-hop, but I think these videos protrude a different image for men, young men, and so they want everything right now. And what's happening with our young ladies is that they can see the future. We train them uh, growing up. I have a daughter, and so, you know, I, I talk, we talk about having this, this sense of, you know, longevity and, and, and going to college and what that means. For young men, typically in our communities, we talk about the now. And, and I think when you see that, that's what's happening, is that everyone, you know, we focus on the now, and nobody's really talking about what's happening in the long run for our kids. And, and that's the amazing piece, and that's why it continues, continues to go up. Yep. yep. Um, well, you answered that fairly, see, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> 
Well, you, I try to be as uh, as political as possible. You know, I don't want to have some people beating down my head about that. You know, but that 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 that's that's clearly how how it, you know how I, I was I was very privileged. I would say in my doctoral program right. that we had seven seven uh, uh, members in my class that that finished together, and and four of us were were male. And, and 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 that was an anomaly that that had happened. That out of seven, four happened to be males. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> so we can have something to to, to get excited about. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> now uh, back to you know just a small uh, question about the entertainers because I had asked this um, when I talked to Jenks Morton last week. Now society, you know, a lot of students, you know, look up to entertainers, sports players, you know, I know Mm -hmm. going back to accountability for teachers and the parents, Mm -hmm. but what about the entertainers, you know? A lot of the, I know you said, you know, from what people see, people want now, but then you have to think a lot of these entertainers became, quote, unquote, successful from not going to school, and and everyone thinks that they could jump on the same bandwagon and achieve the same success as their favorite rapper or their favorite singer, you know, are entertainers, Uh um, uh, should should they be held just as accountable as the teachers sitting at these desks in these schools? I I, I believe so. I, I I believe the entertainers they they have a responsibility to do their part. I, I mean, no matter you know you hear entertainers, you hear sports individuals talking about I'm not a role model. Well, that 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 can't be so. Uh, once you're thrust in that spotlight, you have to be the one that's pushing education. And so you do see quite a few others uh, uh, entertainers now that are coming out, these rap artists, and they're trying to push the initiative of going to school to stay in school. And I think that's a great thing. Um, my question is that, my, I mean, not my question, but my my thought is that they need to make sure that they do it on a consistent basis. They're not showing up for a, a crisis situation. They're not showing up for the, you know, just the stardom of it, but they're showing up because they really care, and that needs to be an ongoing. I know when I was growing up, you know, the, the, the artists used to come to your school. They don't do that really anymore. You know, uh, New Edition came to our high school, and, you know, Bobby Brown and all those individuals, they don't do that too much anymore. Uh-oh, you're revealing your age, Dr. Clark. You're revealing that. <laughs> no, I, and I remember well, seeing a lot of that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, so so what what has happened now is that I, I think they, they've stepped out and it's more about, you know, who has the fattest uh, rings and, 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 the, and the gold chains and the Bentleys and stuff that they've rented in the videos. And nobody's really talking about that that's a leased item or anything like that for the videos. And you have these kids out here doing the wrong thing the wrong things and not really being those role models. But let me say this. I cannot just talk about the the entertainers, the rap artists. We have to talk about people that are successful as well educationally and those individuals that are, are what we call the, the, the business people of the world. They have to come down as well and take a, a, a strong interest in our schools. There is no reason why uh, even local celebrities, what I call them pastors that have $40 million churches and and, and, and they never put any money into the school systems. That makes no sense that you could have a poor system and a $40 million church in the same city and the kids don't have books to read or computer labs. I don't understand that. And so when we look at not just the, the national celebrities, we have to look at lo- local celebrities as well and, and say that it's time for everybody to do their part. 
And and the data is showing that we have to do it. When one out of five black people are not graduating from high school, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's a problem, and, and, and no one's addressing that, but yet and still on Sunday, you know, I, I, I hate to say this, but I guess in, in a way I've been sort of laughing the whole month of January with all the snow because I've just been saying, wow, I know the churches are just hurting on Sunday. What are they thinking about? Are they really reaching out? But then I'm getting text messages as you can still send in your donation to the church because the blizzard don't stop God's work. <laughs> and so that's interesting to me because I haven't got a text message that says that the school systems are behind. They need books and education doesn't stop. I haven't got a text message that said it, but it said God's still doing your work. Send your 10% in an envelope. That's amazing. Right, right. Um. Now you are, you said you do, I think it was but Peace for Urban Exchange. Um, uh-huh. Let's talk about that. How is, you, you have that that's going on in Chicago, New York, different mm-hmm. cities, correct? Um, what was, uh, what did you hope to achieve with that and, and, that, and how is that working for you, that organization? Well, my, my photographer. Well, my fraternity brother and I uh, is from Chicago, Dr. William Johnson. We uh, started talking about exchange. What does it look like? And, you know, typically we look at kids, they do an exchange program. They go across the country, I mean, you know, to another uh, country overseas, and that's an exchange program. But what we recognize is that kids in their respective cities have never been out of those cities. And so some of those kids have never even been downtown. So we started talking about how do we do this exchange. And so what's happened is we take about uh, kids from different schools in, in, in those respective cities and we bring them together for a leadership conference every year. Uh, in in May, and we bring those kids together, and we uh, put them through a leadership conference for about four days, and they get an opportunity to bond with each other. But in the meantime, leading up to that, there is some work that has to be done. We created these local chapters uh, in the, in their respective cities, and these kids are emailing each other. They have projects that they have to do. So by the time they come together in May, they've already built some type of bond. And so we've utilized, you know, Facebook and email and all those kinds of things to really bond with each other. And, and, and the, the goal of it is to show kids that they're the same no matter where they live and to create a, net, a network of, uh, of uh, connections around the country that they can have someone to lean on, prayerfully once they graduate from high school. They'll say, hey, I know a person in Chicago that I could talk with, or hey, I know a person in New York that I can connect with, and they don't have to be out here alone. There's always a networking factor, and we want to build that at an early age. So that's really a part of it and really what good leadership means for a kid at their age. Right. Um, I, I, I digress real quick. What fraternity are you in, Dr. Clark? Oh, man, the greatest fraternity in the world, the Omega Psi Phi <laughs> Fraternity Incorporated. <laughs> what a coincidence. Um, I'm a Delta, so, but I, I digress. All right. <laughs> um, All I right. Have, so I have a question for you. Um, so instant mm-hmm. education and not teaching um, our youth to see the bird's eye view, doing something now or investing effort now, um, who is responsible for sending this message about investing, um, you know, in the future education attaining opposed to, uh, you know, again, instant gratification? 
who's responsible for making sure that this message gets across. I think it's a responsibility of, of every educator, every adult, politicians, local leaders, and, uh, again, our, our pastors and, and, and community leaders inside of their respective cities to get this voice uh, across, that this, uh, this positive change has to take place. And I, I, I think they're responsible for that. All of us are. Right, right. Um, I'm glad that you asked that question now because the next question I had was, what are, um, well, what do we need to do? Like as of tonight, from us talking and, and from those listening, what do we need to do as a community to support our school systems and teachers today? So we're not making the excuse of I'm blaming the teacher, I'm blaming the school system. We have to be responsible. What do we need to do? Um, you know, me and and those listening and, and those that want to make a difference. What do we need to do? Well, first of all, you you, you got to get involved, and, and and even if you don't have a child in the school, you still have to get involved with the school systems. Find out what's going on in those school systems. Find out what's going on in your charter schools. You have to be a part of the the voting process and those referendums that are taking place in politics in your respective states. Get involved. Get that vote. Make sure you have a voice in that. The other thing is that you have to talk. If you have children in school, you have to really look at what's going on. Don't worry about a kid. You know, uh, we had an elementary school kid. You go through their notebook. You find out what went on in school. Well, do the same thing once they get to high school. Find out what's going on. Be nosy. Step into that realm and, and be a part of that to know what's going on with your child. Talk with your children because kids are going to always tell you the truth. And sometimes when you go in and you talk with those teachers, they're going to sugarcoat it because they're afraid of their jobs. They're afraid of someone lashing out on them. So talk with the kids because the kids know the inside. Side, and they will let you know. I know as a as a as a uh, a former principal, one of the things I always did was make sure I got in with the kids because the kids would tell me what was going on before the end of the day. And that's what has to happen in our communities. You just got to get involved. And even if you're not uh, directly involved, you're indirectly involved as well. Okay. Um, and the last bit of news, I saw you have upcoming news about um, a proposed public charter school for 2011. I just want to. I want you to briefly talk about what? Richard Wright Public Charter School for Journalism and Media Arts? Uh, all right. Richard Wright is going to uh, be a model for the country. Uh, we, we, we have uh, submitted our application, and uh, we are in the steps right now of becoming a, a full-fledged charter. And so what we're going to focus on is journalism and media arts. We really recognize that our kids are having issues writing, particularly in the African-American community. And so we're going to ensure that we can create these great writers. We want to take it back to that Renaissance era. We want our kids to be a part of the media. And we chose Richard Wright because Richard Wright had this uh, background that he was just, you know, uh, refused to quit and refused to give in to the status quo. And so we want our kids to have that same tenacity. We're starting with grade 8 and we're going to grade 12. So we've changed the model on high school. So that five-year piece I was talking about earlier, when the kid becomes a, an official ninth grader, that kid will gonna, is going to spend four years in high school and graduate on time. Richard Wright Public Charter School is, is going to be focused on creating learners, those individuals who are going to be well-versed, and we want to be the model for the country to look at because we are going to make sure that our kids are proficient on state assessments and that they're doing their very best and shining the Richard Wright way. I, I love it. I love it. I think we got two callers, so let's see if we can uh, get through to them. Um, okay. Please state your name. Are you there? Hello. Hello. Hello, how are you? 
I'm doing great. This is Kimberly Bryan. How are you? I'm doing well. Where are you from, Kimberly? I'm from Washington, D.C. I was one of the fortunate parents that was under Dr. Clark's as a Cesar Chavez Ponsai parent. Wow. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Did you have a question for him? I do. Um, I remember when I was growing up that our teachers had passion and vocation for career of being a teacher. And I noticed that lately that it's, it's become a career more than it has become a passion and something that you do for the love of our kids. Um, I would like to know how would you inspire and change um, the way the teachers maybe come and look at the careers as, and have the same passion that our teachers that we grew up with so that our kids will understand that we, they do matter and that they, they, we care about them. Um, so I want to know how he would do that kind of change for the, the staff of teachers. Well, I want to, first of all, I want to say good, good evening, Ms. Bryant. Thank you for calling in. That's, that's one of my great parents right there. I, I have to give her a shout-out. She's one of the ones she called in, but I was talking about being a strong advocate for uh, young people. She is that, uh, uh, a strong soldier for young people. What I will say is that it sort of leans into what I said earlier about the teacher education programs at institutions of higher learning because in doing that, uh, we recognize we're able to cipher out those who are committed to the process. When you put a person in a school and make them intern for an entire year, they will find out whether or not they want to be there or not. And if they're not, if, they, if that's not in their heart, they're not going to be a part of, of teaching. When you look at the older teachers that have been in teaching for 30 and 40 years, it's because they came through those teacher education programs and they clearly did their internships and they knew by the time they finished their internship, whether or not they wanted to do that or not. I'm proposing that we go back to that same concept of doing things. Since we can't, if that does not come to fruition, what I think the leader of the building has to do is ensure that those teachers are strongly committed by setting a solid vision. And if they set that vision, in place, then you can re then then those teachers will have to follow suit or get off the bus, and that has been my old my whole mission, Ms. Bryan, and you know that to make sure that we stay focused on our kids and and ensure that our kids are first and foremost in everything we do. Can I say something? Um, one of the reasons why I am fighting so hard for my children, um, because before Dr. Clark, they were doing just fine. Um, they were straight A students, honor roll students, and they were just doing fine. But with Dr. Clark in place um, that two years ago when we had it in our school, I realized that that wasn't enough, that, that because of the model and the way he set the system up, I realized that I could get that for my children and that I should demand that for our children. And so as community, we need to start making demands. As community, we need to get involved. As community, we need to say to our children, it's not just about my child, but it's about all of you guys. And I think that's the model that Dr. Clark has instilled in our school and we truly miss you, and I am so glad to see that you are working toward another school and that I'm here to support you in every which way I can. Thank you so much, Ms. Bryant. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you for calling in, Ms. Um, uh, Bryant. You're welcome. Okay. Um, I think we have one more call, uh, Dr. Clark. Um, let's see if we can Okay. through. Hello? Let's try that again. Hello? 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, Dr. Clark, phenomenal, phenomenal dialogue. Um, please tell us how we can, you know, follow up with you, um, just figure out what's going on with you and just to, to stay in touch and find out what's going on, where you're at and, and what you're up to. 
Well, uh, first thing you can do is go to www.brokenpromiseschools.com. Please go on and check out what, we, what we're doing on there. Uh, you can call, you can reach me at uh, area code 443-324-0790. You can reach me there. And I, I ask that everyone go on our Facebook and, and fan our Facebook. If you've not already done that, make sure that you fan our Facebook. Uh, we're reaching out to uh, grant possibilities based on the number of fans we have. So we need to send it off the chart uh, and, and make sure that we get as many fans on our Facebook uh, page as possible uh, there. And I ask that you kind of circulate that around and, and get moving. But please contact me if you have any questions. I'll come to your school. I'll bring a staff with me to your school, and we'll make sure that some changes take place. We want to uh, ensure that we are following the model of our president. We're keeping hope up. We're going to keep hope up, and we're going to make sure that change is around. We yes. have to make oh sure my that God. we do That's that. Thank you so much. And to the listeners, um, and if you missed this episode and previous shows, please go to brownskinspeaks.com, which is also podcasting on iTunes. Um, you can just search BRNSKN. Please tune in next week as I continue my Black History Month series on Brownskin Speaks Radio. Thank you, Dr. Clark, so much. I think this dialogue is very, um, it was very needed and, of, of course, very um, encouraging. So. I, and I thank you so much, and I, I just I want to commend you. You're doing it as a uh, one of your sorors, uh, Dr. Rhonda Wilbin has a, a show, and and part of her show she says, "Don't ever ever lose your voice." And I appreciate that you're doing that right now. Okay. All right, let's stay in touch. Okay, we'll do. You have a good night, Dr. Clark. Uh, you too. Thanks. Bye. Bye bye.